Welcome, this is the Sales IQ Podcast. My name is Luigi Prestonenzi, and I'm on a mission to help salespeople be the best sales professionals they can be. Each week, we'll bring you a different message from thought leaders from around the globe, so we can help you master the art of selling. Welcome to another episode of the Sales IQ Podcast. I'm your host, Luigi Prestonenzi, and as always, I am pumped, honored, and excited that you have joined us for what will be another epic episode. Thank you for tuning into last week's episode with George Bronton. What a great episode that was. We spoke about sales enablement, and George shared with us some of the things, you know, some of the best practices when it comes to coaching, leading, and managing the sales process. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go back. There's some real gold nuggets that you can implement immediately that will help increase your sales performance. So this week, we're joined by Deb Calvert. I'm really excited about this episode because Deb is an amazing contributor and has done so for many years, helping to improve the sales profession. Uh, Deb is the president of People First Productivity Solutions and helps organizations improve sales productivity and performance. Also, the founder of the Sales Experts channel, where Deb brings some of the leading sales experts globally together to share insights and provide you know, valuable information that helps salespeople every day. The thing that I love the most is her recent book, Stop Selling and Start Leading, and that's what this episode is all about. You know, we live in a world where people are telling you, you know, crush it and this and that and 10x and blah, 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 but at the end of the day, selling is about helping people buy. And so in the enterprise world now, I know you can get away with a lot, you know, a lot different strategies and techniques in business to consumer sales, but in the enterprise selling environment, we need to consider the impact, our behavior, the way in which we approach customers impacts the sale. So in this episode, Deb really breaks down the fact that we've just got to, we've got to take a different view on this and let's go back to what selling is actually is. So guys, buckle up because this is going to be a bumpy ride. Now before we get into it, guys, really enjoying the comments that I'm getting on LinkedIn and social and the reviews on iTunes has been fantastic. So if you haven't already, jump on, tell us why you like it, rate us, share us, and like us wherever you listen to your podcast. And please hit me up at LinkedIn. Um, You just type in Luigi. There's not many other Luigis out there that... uh, that are around that host a podcast. So, you know, really, really appreciate the feedback. And um, we've got a couple of cool competitions coming up that I'm looking forward to sharing with you. So, look, I'm not going to keep talking. We're going to get straight into this episode. Enjoy the episode with Deb. So, welcome to the show, Deb. Thank you. I am so excited to be here, Luigi. I really appreciate you inviting me on. Oh, fantastic. And so am I. You know, I've got your book in one hand, I've got my glass of water in the other, and I'm ready to, to get really excited and talk all things sales and, and all things about our profession. So really appreciate you taking the time to, to come on our show. Um, and But before we get into, you know, what's an exciting topic of um, stop selling, start leading, and, and, and the nuances of what makes our profession so great... Uh, tell us a bit more about yourself and how you started in the world of sales. Oh, it's been a fun, fun path. Um, <laughs> I I came out of college with a journalism degree. Wow. This is a lot of years ago. Yep. And I <laughs> I wanted to work at a newspaper. So I took the first job that they would give me at the newspaper where I lived. That's the Kansas City Star. Yeah. And um, I, that job was in advertising. 
And I just thought, okay, I'll, I'll get a job and then I'll get to know the people over there on the news side and, and they'll eventually hire me. But then I, I found out I really loved selling advertising and I never even made an attempt to move over to the news side. So my journalism degree was no longer uh, of value because my passion for selling and, and the, the fact that I felt like I was making a difference for so many people, um, that just overtook me. And eventually I went into a corporate role and oversaw uh, training and sales in 31 markets. And when that company, a Fortune 500, was sold uh, 14 years ago now, uh, I went into business for myself. And I have been working with salespeople and with leaders ever since then. Fantastic. You've worked a variety of things. You've contributed so much to the profession. What makes you love what you do? Well, it really is. I know this will sound a little bit hokey, but to me, making a difference for people. Yeah. I like to I like to make a difference so that other people can make a difference mm. for their clients, for the people who report to them, for the, the, the world at large. Um, yeah. And when people come back to me and say, this helped me and, and this made me feel better about the work I'm doing or this helped my client to reach their goals. That's, that's what I celebrate. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, you know, you've authored some really great books and still you've recently come out with another one, Stop Selling and Start Leading. Where did that inspiration come from? Well, I, I, I was doing work in parallel tracks. When I went into business, yeah. I set up as a sales productivity consulting and training firm and a leadership development consulting and coaching firm. And I was working in those two parallel tracks. Some days I would get up and I'd go do leadership development work with one customer. The next day I might go do sales training with another customer. But it, it took many years for me to realize that there was actually an intersection because I started thinking all that stuff over there in the leadership realm. And I teach the, the work of Jim Kuzis and Barry Posner, who were yeah. my co-authors and Stop Selling and Start Leading. I teach that because it's evidence-based. It's got 30 years of research behind it. But it, it occurred to me one day that the very same thing we were teaching leaders and emerging leaders, that those behaviors might be something that sellers could use. Mm. So then we conducted a big research study with buyers to find out what, how they would react to those behaviors of leaders. And it was compelling. Right? Yep. They, they really, really wanted it. So that's where the book came from. Oh, fantastic. And one of the things that I love, Deb, about your book, and I've, you know, I love the, the Dale Carnegie's and the Poland Hills of Jim Rohn's is, you know, the, you talk a lot in, earlier in the book around the value system and the values that are important to us as leaders and then how that translates when we sell. Um, I'd love to get, like, help us understand how important the value system is for, for both sales and leaders. Yeah, okay. So let's talk first about consumers because I've, all the research I do is, is buyer side. Yep. Um, so consumers, whether it's B2B or B2C, what we know about buyers, including us when we buy, we know that we have higher expectations than we used to. Yep. Once upon a time, the value of the product, whatever the product or service was, the inherent innate value of that product, that was enough. Mm. And then pretty soon, we had to do value added. And, and every organization now does something that's value added, whether it's superior customer service or it's um, discounted rates for buying in bulk or yeah. long term. Something that's value added. Now, so value comes from the product, 
value added comes from the company, but what buyers today want is something even more. They don't, they want, they want the product value, <laughs> they want the added value, yeah. but they also are demanding created value, mm. value that's unique and meaningful and relevant to them personally. And, and that can only come from a salesperson. And in fact, the, the best value creation is when a salesperson steps into their full potential as a leader mm. and interacts with the buyer in, in a relationship that's not buyer-seller, but it's more like leader or guide. Yeah. That's a, that's a, you know what, that's an amazing description of, of you know, and, and before we, we aired, I, I was sharing with you sort of what my passion and what, and what some of my goals are to, to help really, you know, I want to disconnect the negative stigma that comes with sales, right? Um, because yes. what we do, it's a profession. It's, it's, it's you know, that, that whole guiding, and I love that. I love talking about the fact that we're guiding, we're helping and guiding people through a buying process. And there's stages. And that's, you know, that's why I loved your book because it talks about, you know, leading, guiding, helping. And, uh, and, and, and I, I, still, I still ponder this. We know, like, there's so much data. We are, we are, we've, we're completely um, saturated with data that tells us what the buyers want. It tells us um, what, you know, how, how, how to put construct sales so that it can be a real win-win. Yet so many people are still executing, you know, the, the unethical persuasive strategies. Why do you think that's still occurring in, in, today's, in today's world? I think that we have forgotten the basics. Yeah. Right? So yeah. the basics, the, the, the word buy, right? Yep. The word buy means to take possession of something or to acquire it. In Old English, the, the root word of that was biken, and it meant to accept something that's needed. The yep. word needed was a part of that definition. Interestingly, the Old English word for sell was sellin, and that mm. meant to furnish something that is needed. So once upon a time, both the words buy and sell, their definition included the word need. Mm. And to me, that's where, that's where we've lost our way. So buying and selling, they should intersect where there's a need. It shouldn't intersect where I have a need to enhance my commission and yep. what's in my wallet. It should intersect where the buyer has something that is needed and I can furnish what is needed. And that would help to eradicate those stereotypes that are so negative and it would keep us true to a profession that's a noble one that, that meets the needs of other people. Mm. That's you know what I've actually never I've never done that I've never researched I knew the the selling one I never researched the buyer and the fact that there's that common ground of need, and I love that because you know there's a lot of um, debate around saying we've got to stop selling features and benefits and I say yeah sure we don't lead with features and benefits but at some point the feature and the benefit need to overlay the need, and we need to be able to articulate to the customer how our features and how how our product can benefit them to fix the problem that they're looking to have solved. Um, and that's why what you've just described, that the need is absolutely essential. And you're right. I think the basics are getting lost. Yes. And when people feel icky about yeah. selling, when they, when they feel like they have to have a personality transplant to be a salesperson <laughs> or they, um, you know, they, they, they don't feel good about the work they do in any way, it's always, as a coach, when people tell me that they feel that way or when I can sense that they do and we have the conversation, it always comes down to 
They feel like they're doing something to a buyer mm. instead of with a buyer or for a buyer. And, and that's because they haven't found the true need. And if you don't know the need, the values all make believe, yeah. right? Values attached to need, needs attached to the ethics of our profession. Mm. So if, if, you're this, if you're someone listening to this going, you know what, I am pushing a product to my customer without fully understanding the need, what should I be doing first and foremost? Well, you need to develop your business acumen to understand your customers yeah. and what their needs are and what's going on in their day-to-day. -day. See if you can't job shadow a customer for a couple hours or go do research. Read the industry publications that they read. Just try to get into their skin and, and that way you can empathize and you'll understand the needs and you'll be so much more credible and you'll feel better about the work that you're doing. Mm. Yeah, it's quite enlightening. When you think about it, we go, if you look at the actual skills of selling, there is, you know, a bunch of competencies, but then there's all the other stuff that are, are non-sales related that, you know, like you're talking about journals, shadowing, you know, be, being empathy, empathetic to your customers' needs and living, you know, walking a mile in their shoes. I mean, that's all stuff that doesn't sit within a competency framework for sales. <laughs> No, it doesn't. And and now we introduce leadership behaviors, yeah. and that too is a little bit different. I'll give you one more root word um, since we went down that path. <laughs> the root word of lead is laden, L-E-D-E-N, yeah. and it does mean to guide. So the visual oh. for me, right, if I'm going to be a leader, yep. my visual is that I'm in a jungle and I'm chopping, I'm in the front and I've got the machete and I'm chopping down the vines <laughs> to make way <laughs> yeah. for the people who want to follow me. Now, nobody wants to, to be guided to a place unless it's a place they want to get to. Yep. And nobody nobody needs a guide unless they're not quite sure how to get there. So if we can step into our role as guide and take people to a, an exciting new place they've mm. never been before but they want to be, well, that's how we meet the need as leaders. Yeah. I love that. I actually love that, the way that you've, you've, you've painted that picture in my mind. And often, you know, find that you know, the barrier that we can get, you know, when, when we're trying to guide somebody to that point and we, when we see this in the sales process where it breaks down is the customer or if we're leading a team, is our team members fear of not being able to get there or there's some fear that stops them from moving forward. Um, how do we address that? Well, it, it's with micro commitments. So yeah. what leaders do, let's take it out of sales for a moment. Yeah. What leaders do is they inspire you. They breathe life into a vision that you share and to keep you excited about it and, and to cause you to want to work hard, to even mm. struggle to get to that place you want to be. And along the way, leaders encourage you. They, they pour courage into you at the times when the going gets tough. Yep. Now for buyers, what that means is that we understand what they value. We understand where they want to be and we breathe life into that vision with them. And then when they have to go back and sell it inside their own organization, or they have to cut ties with another vendor, or they have to put their neck out just a little bit, take a risk to bring in what we offer, well, we're, in, we're right there with them. We're encouraging them. We're helping them to feel appreciated and recognized and, and buoyed so that they'll do that hard work and, and make things happen. Hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I, I love, <laughs> sorry, I'm getting completely lost in, in what you're talking about because I can see it, you know, I can absolutely see it. And and so if we look at that particular, you know, encourage, um, when we, we're talking about that, when we're encouraging our team, 
Um, how do we then also transfer that type of um, mindset to the buying process? Well, first, this is very surprising to salespeople when I speak to audiences. Yeah. The first thing to know is that buyers want this, right? All of our research with buyers, it was a, a, quite an extensive study, and we asked them about these leadership behaviors. And buyers of every age group ranked these behaviors very favorably. Millennial buyers want this even more. So buyers mm. under 30 want these behaviors related to in, being encouraged. It's, this is extremely important to them. So in sales, what it means is that we don't wait until the contract is signed and, and say thank you. Right? There's more to it than that. We've got to show appreciation mm. all the way through a sales process. We've got to recognize and dignify the input that the buyer wants to have. And they do. They, they want to have input. They want to participate in creating what they want. That's the shared vision that we're going to inspire. Yep. And then they need to be um, affirmed along the way, and they need to be celebrated when, when we get a, a shared win. Hey, you got that meeting with your boss. Awesome. That's a great mm. job. You know, high five. Yeah. We, we, it, these are easy things to do, but we have to remember to do them because they make such a big difference. Yeah. And I've got a, I've got a actual real-life scenario I would love your, um, your take on. I've got a client right now that the one of their top performing sales professionals their values because and, and and where 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 I'm getting to this is you talk about aligned values in the book right um the values of the sales professional are not aligned now with their employer but even more what's what's more which poses more of a challenge is now they're talking to a client um and they want to acquire the client but the client's values aren't aligning with the salesperson's so that person's in a precarious position. What what sort of, you know, when these things happens, when there's a conflict of values, can the relationship continue or does one have to essentially say, you know what, this is conflicting with my inner values. I can't continue on anymore. Well, without knowing the values, I'll answer this in a very broad, generic sense. Yeah. And, you know, then we, we can talk more specifically if you like. Well, so first of all, if I understand this correctly, your client and your client's customer, they have values that are aligned, but the salesperson who's in the middle has uh, differing yes. values. Is correct. that correct? Yep. Okay. Okay. So here's the thing about sales. You are a representative of your company, a sales rep. Mm. You represent your company. And that means that the brand promise of your company is what you're supposed to be out there representing. And the client, uh, the customer who might come to do business with your client, they were quite likely attracted to the values and the brand promise of your client. Mm. Less likely that they were attracted to the values and brand promise that your top performer um, put out there that are un not aligned with the company. See, salespeople come and go, but companies, they have a foundation of values and of, of a brand. Yep. And it's extremely important that they hire. So the first mistake they made was in hiring. They should be hiring people who can represent their values, even if their own values are different. Yeah, That happens in companies. Yep. Uh, you, you might have different values from your employer, but your job is to, while you're at work, 
represent those employees and, and uh, th represent those values and support um, that company's brand. That's what you're hired to do. Does that make sense? Absolutely, absolutely. And I find it, and, and I, I've also, you know, as an observer, I see that having um, a high performer that has different values to an organization, um, it's leading to other, it's becoming, yeah, it's leading to other symptoms within the business um, that, you know, there's a certain culture that's becoming accepted because of the deliverables mm. that this person's bringing, but yet there's all these other behaviors that, you know, that are essentially challenging uh, the values of the business. So it's creating a very interesting um, culture within the sales team. Well, it's dangerous because mm. they will have short-term results and they'll enjoy the the fact that these top performers are, are bringing that, that level of revenue in, but at what cost? Mm. So ideally in a sales organization, there would be expectations related to getting the right results, but also getting the right results the right way. And that right way would be well-defined based on the values and, and what the organization wants to put out there. Yeah. Well, this is such an interesting topic, isn't it? When you when you when you break this down, because it just it's not just about selling; it's not just about leading. Of the cultural element, you've got the engagement element, and, and then you've got the buyer that's being affected by all of this by these ex, you know these internal external influences. Absolutely, and you know, sales culture. I personally believe it's much more important than being a buzzword. Mm. People don't often deliberately set their culture. They still have one, but it's just yeah. um, an accidental culture and it's influenced heavily then by where people have been before. Yeah. And, and that's not unified. So it eventually becomes one of internal competition or of making it up as we go along. Um, all things go free for all. Yeah. Being deliberate with your culture, your sales culture starts with cascading from the values of the organization or the mission of the organization. Yeah. Okay. So well, I'm going to try to, you know, play a bit of a scenario here. So we've got really, you know, we've now got aligned values. Um, we're executing on our values and um, corporate, you know, our, we're aligned with our company. We've got the right mindset. Um, we're now, you know, I'm, I'm looking at your book. I'm taking your book with me as a bit of a guide, right? Um, and it talks about, you know, finding my voice. Are you able to expand on that, please? Absolutely. One of the best things about finding your values and, and having your values worked out and, and knowing exactly what they are and what you represent, when you have that, it's like a, an internal compass. Yep. It's, um, it's a guiding North Star. And when you have that confidence that, that directs you, you will have your own voice. You'll have the clarity about when to say yes and when to say no and when to turn left and when to turn right. It won't be confusing. It won't be uh, something that, that you have to get tied up in knots about because the clarity sets you on the right course. And then everything comes easier, yeah. including finding and using your own voice. Yeah. I love that. So that's that's that internal that internal uh, driver that helps and 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 shapes your intuition and and, and the decisions that you make. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And and it takes us back to what we were talking before about, which is it. If you want to feel good about selling, 
you have to work out your intention first. And if your intention is to meet someone's need and to sell with integrity and to make a difference for people, if it's any of those kinds of things internally and you genuinely believe that and you align your actions with that belief, well, selling is going to feel really good. Yeah. And you're going to go home every night knowing that you've <laughs> done something that, that's good and that you can be very yeah. proud of. And, and you know, you're, you're, you're so spot on. This is why I love our profession because it's, you know, selling is a challenge, right? There are so many external factors that we cannot control. I can't control the economy. I can't control the political environment within the organization that I'm selling to. I can control my mindset. I can control how I show up. But then when I when we lead with that that intention, that best intention to say, you know what, sure, I, I could probably say this solution, but what you're looking to achieve, I can't, this is not going to enable you to do that. You know, and we have the opportunity to walk away knowing that we've served our client. But then in the, in the flip side, when we do hunt that deal and find something and we've helped them achieve their goal, the, satisf you know, the, the satisfaction and the accomplishment that comes with that is amazing. And you know what? That's what I do what I do. Um, sure, there's a monetary reward at the end of it, but that doesn't inspire me to get out of bed and help others you know, enable success. Yeah, we are like-minded. Your enthusiasm yeah. <laughs> shows through. Yeah. I, I, I so enjoy working with salespeople who have that kind of a, of a mindset and that sort of a passion for the work that they do. Mm. And what's interesting is that a lot of people enter our profession with exactly that mindset, and then they they lose it because they hear no or because they see someone else, maybe even a sales manager, demonstrating something else or because they get tremendous pressure for, for making quota and they lose sight of, of what it's really about and how mm. to go about making quota in a way that feels good. Yeah. And that, and that's why, you know, I, I think one thing that, uh, and I've, I'm, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time studying, um, you know, what makes those high performing sales different, uh, salespeople, professionals different. And one of the things that I'm, I'm noticing and Give you a great example. I'm coaching somebody at a business, and they're number one star performer year on year, and probably maybe one once or twice in that period um, of uh, months has that individual not been number one, been number two. Spent a whole day, um, you know, shadowing, and the very first thing that was asked of me at the end of the day was, "You spent some time with me. What could I do to improve?" And for me, that was just like was such an awesome question to be asked. I'm thinking you are literally at the top and you're still looking for that extra feedback and, and, and one percenter. But then on the flip side, coaching somebody else within the business, you know, middle of the pack, been there a long time, and their first response is, why do I need external coaching? And that's what I, I look at and go, well, you know what, one's got a complete mindset of growth and the other is going, well, you know, what can you teach me? We can always, all of us, we can always, always improve, even if it's just a small incremental yeah. improvement. And the problem is when the better we are, the harder it is to see in ourselves what we're doing wrong. That's yep. why professional athletes have coaches mm. is because the coaches can see something from a different perspective. They're looking at you, not trying to reflect as you do on what what you can experience and feel yeah. you can't see yourself they can mm. 
Yeah, it's such a you know this is a great co- like I love I love this topic. I love this whole concept of of getting outside um, you know feedback and and one of my um, you know mentors in Australia, Kean McLaughlin. Um, he does a lot of win-loss analysis uh, for organisations and actually goes in there and measure and, and gets an understanding of where did the sales break down, why didn't they buy and why did they buy? And the data and the and the feedback they get, it's, it can have such a positive impact on both businesses um, yes. because you can say, well, you know what, we didn't win this because of this, this, that and the other. And that intel can be used for development, for training, for it could be the value narrative wasn't accurate or the messaging wasn't right or, you know, there's some so many things. And that's one of the things that I love about getting feedback from customers and from the people that I work with because that feedback, if I've got a growth mindset, it can only make me a better sales professional. Well, interesting that you say that because out of all these behaviors, 30 of them that we asked buyers about, one of them actually was the seller asks for feedback about how his or her decisions impact my work and performance. Mm. And in my first book, Discover Questions, the I in the acronym DISCOVER stands for issue. And that's a question that salespeople often do not ask, but it's very, very high value to buyers. The question, an issue question, is something like, Maybe it's a service check. Maybe it's something like, Luigi, you and I have been doing business together for about six months now. I just want to check in. What would you like to see me doing differently that would make your job easier? Or if there is an issue, if there's a problem, hey, talk to me about what I could have done differently here so I don't make the same mistake again. So it's the seller being humble enough to to want to learn and vulnerable enough to have that that conversation with a buyer because it's so bonding, yeah. right? A conversation like that, you know, yes, you're going to hear something that makes you feel a little bad for a moment, but wouldn't you rather feel bad mm-hmm. for a moment to preserve the relationship and to avoid making the same mistake over and over again? Absolutely. It's, it's interesting you say that because I've been in that position where, you know, I get quite emotional. I get quite emotional. I get emotionally connected to the to the um, the solutions that I put together. Right? I really, I actually really care about the solution. And so, when things don't go to plan, I take it personal, and I reflect. You know, and I look back, and I'm like, I should, you know, I could have done this. And then sometimes, when you ask for that feedback, because I'm a big believer in asking those questions. It's actually hard to digest. You, you hear it and you, you don't want to hear it, right? And I go through that process of I go a bit of bit of denial first. No, no, they're right. And yes. then you know, once I get over that little um, you know, I get over my ego, I'm like, okay, I can see how my actions or, you know, how we've delivered something or, you know, the way we didn't communicate something has had an impact on your perception. Because sometimes it's actually perception, it's not reality. Absolutely. You know, I'd like to say that there's some perfect leader, some perfect seller out there that we could all aspire to be like, but we all need to be our own best seller slash leader because there's more art here than, than there is science. And if we can be authentic to ourselves, which means constantly learning and growing to be our, the best of ourselves that we can be, uh, that's, that's what, yeah. people connect with. That's what makes um, you credible and, and attractive to others. It's so, you know, I've got a big smile on my face because I asked that question at the end of every interview, you know, is, is, is sales a science or an art? 
And, you know, person, my personal opinion is it is absolutely not. It's a craft. Um, yes, there's heaps of data, but as you know, data can be manipulated to to tell us what we want to hear and to sometimes tell us what we don't want to hear, right? Um, but that whole craft of connecting with people and and having those those conversations and then refining what we do to even you know advance our our skills further, I, I, I absolutely agree with you that it, it's definitely a, it's it's a craft and an art that we can master. Yes. And most people who have parts of their sales job that they don't love, it's the scientific parts, yeah. the, the data, <laughs> the, the routines, the mechanisms. Yep. You know, they, they prefer the parts where it's uh, connecting with people and, and it's their personality and it's the nuance and it's the crafting of solutions and, and the intuition and you know, all those pieces which are, are the, the novelty of you and mm. you getting to create value because of, of that art that you are bringing to the world yeah this is awesome um hey with your with your common purpose uh and, and envisaging the future you know so we talk about um actually getting to a point of imagining the possibilities and 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 looking at you know what does that the future state look like because i believe that in all the especially the complex sales but even in the in the consumer sales when i i i, I changed careers a few years ago where I, I jumped from enterprise selling into consumer selling and I found the concepts, the concept of, you know, picturing future state with consumer has, has, has a far greater impact because usually a consumer, the impact to them personally is far greater than a business, right? Um, and I like the fact that the way that you talk about, you know, getting that, that, that buyer's vision. Um, what are some strategies as sales professionals we can, we can implement to help, you know, help create that picture, that future state picture? Well, I think there are three things that are really essential. And the first one is that it has to be a shared vision. Yep. And it, it, that, that shared vision means that the buyer and the seller have talked about it and they are agreeing that they want to go in that same direction. And, and that's where then the, the seller gets out the machete and chops down the vines to, to guide the buyer to it. But what, what salespeople often do that's a mistake is they hear about the needs of the buyer in their discovery process, and then they go away and they craft a solution and they bring it back to the buyer. And then they wonder why this perfect solution gets met with a, oh, not very enthusiastic response. The buyer doesn't seem to, to feel all that invested in it. Yeah. And that's because the seller didn't get buy-in before <laughs> they asked for the buy. Yeah. If they had involved the buyer, that would have been the shared vision. So that's the first thing is that it's got to be shared. The second thing is that I think sellers should liberate themselves to go ahead and think big and to paint pictures of the future, of the ideal state that the buyer wants to get to. We sometimes sell too small or we talk too small and it's not very inspiring. So. You're probably familiar, Luigi, your, your audience is probably familiar with a speech that was made over 50 years ago by Dr. Martin Luther King yep. Jr. I have a dream. I have a dream speech. Yep. Yes. I mean, that was big. Yeah. And it was bold. And it was probably something that wouldn't be accomplished in his lifetime, even if he hadn't had his life cut short. He knew all those things. And even so, 
he spoke to people and said, I have a dream. Yeah. So let me ask you, what would have been different? I mean, we're all, we're all passionate about that. We're all inspired by that. But what would have been different if instead of saying, I have a dream, Dr. King had said, I have a list of measurable objectives. <laughs> I have a list of KPIs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't have, wouldn't have connected with the emotional state of his audience. Absolutely. So we have to be okay with, it's okay to have a big vision and a dream. We can do the smaller pieces later, but let's start big. Let's start with everything the buyer wants because that's where they're going to get inspired. That's where they're yeah. going to get mobilized into action. And then the third thing that, that I think is important there is um, when, it comes to, when it comes to vision, we need to have some detail around it, but we can't get then lost in those details. Mm. Right? The details come second. So yeah. first the vision and then the details of execution. And, that, and that's a craft, right? That's actually quite a – it's a skill to be able to – to get them into that future state position, especially if they're a conscientious buyer. I mean, I love the DISC model. And sometimes people that are sitting in that quadrant, they are so, they, you know, they so focus on the detail, they can't, you know, move out of that, uh, uh, out of the action plan um, to, to visualize the future state. Yes, that's true. And even people without that, that C in their DISC style, even those folks are um, sometimes pressed by business needs mm. because in business at our job we do have an annual review and we do have <laughs> kpis and we do have performance metrics and that's the kind of thing that we might be conditioned to think about but a seller who can elevate that and who can ask them what does it mean to you if you if you meet all of these objectives what does that mean to you mm. personally what does it mean to your business right it, inside there for all of us there's something that can be unleashed yeah Oh, this is this is real that that whole servant lead. This is this is such a great concept. I, I, I'm 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 really enjoying this conversation. Deb. Um, want to ask something that's you know not in the book, um, but you know in your career, what what is there a is biggest influence um, in your selling career and why? Oh, I've had so many incredible mentors. You mentioned Kian, who I'm a fan of his work. I, I got a chance to meet him in London. We were speaking at an event. Yeah. Right, but mentors, I've had so many incredible ones. I've been very blessed in that regard. I think the biggest influence for me goes way back. And it goes back to when I was just a kid. Uh, I was selling candy for an organization <laughs> called Campfire. Yeah. And my mom took me out to sell this candy. She knew I wanted to sell a lot of it because if you sold enough, you could earn a week at a camp, a summer camp that I really loved going to. So that was my motivation. Oh, but thanks. my mom had been a U.S. Marine, one, one of the first women U.S. Marines, and she her job was recruiting other women to join the Marine Corps, wow. which is essentially a sales job. Yep. And she taught me, when I was seven or eight years old, she was teaching me to ask questions when I'd go knock on someone's door to sell them this candy. She taught me to ask questions. So if you can imagine this, right, here's a seven-year-old girl on your porch, and um, mm. you come to, to answer the door, and she's trying to sell you candy. But instead of saying, I'm selling campfire candy, would you like to buy some? I would say things like, Thanksgiving is next week, and <laughs> if you're going to have company or go to someone else's house, 
what gifts would you like to bring them that would be easy, like this candy? Yeah. (laughs) So you had it back then, see, was uh, your innate ability. Well, mom was teaching me. She was my first sales coach. (laughs) How good is that? It's funny you say that because I look at my career and my mom was uh, an incredible salesperson. She worked for Mary Kay. Um, she was oh, a, yes. you know, independent sales consultant. I think they called it here. And um, and she, yeah, quickly. I think she was number two or three in Australia, and um, she achieved incredible things. And it's funny because what I observed from her, her image was impeccable because obviously she was selling a product which was based on mm-hmm. you know cosmetics, um, but her work ethic. Her commitment to her customers, you know, all the things that, and again, I keep saying the difference between high performers and difference between a sales professional and everybody else is all the stuff that isn't in that matrix. You know, it's the planning, it's the preparation, it's making sure she knew her customers' needs and was able to serve up to their needs. Now, you know, did my mum have training? No, she was an she was a migrant from Italy that came to Australia in the sixties. Um, didn't have that education sitting behind her, but she was able to connect with people. Um, and so by witnessing that and witnessing, you know, the, the, the incredible work ethic that she had, and it was actually quite sad because the work ethic was so strong that it broke her. Um, mm. You know, she had, a, she had a major breakdown. And, um, you know, so I witnessed firsthand that it's quite a fine line between um, commitment to success and, and actually, you know, being a bit um, – What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, you know, when when it's a little bit too intense, and right, and we, we do need balance. Yeah, yes. and and it's, it's it's you know what? Sometimes it's addictive. We know that in sales that we you know we I personally I'm not competing with anyone. I'm competing with myself. I just want to be better tomorrow than I was today. And so with that comes, you know, I'm not just competing from a skill level, but I'm also competing from a, a numbers level because that's how I judge my performance. Maybe I'm looking at it wrong, but um, yeah, so I really appreciate you sharing that with me about your, your you know, your early upbringing and, and, and what influenced your career. Yeah, it, uh, it had a profound impact. Yeah. I, I guess I've always been selling and I've always felt good about selling yeah. because I could make people smile and, <laughs> and I could see candy selling as something more than here's you know, the exchange of your dollar for my box of candy. It was, there was yeah. something more to it. Yeah, absolutely. And if you could go back in time and do it all over again, what's in your career one thing that you would do differently? Mm. Well, okay. Uh, this is the first one that comes to mind. I'm sure there are many other things. <laughs> uh, but I would, in my first sales management job, I would go learn a little bit about what it meant to be a good sales manager mm. so that I didn't make all the mistakes that I made on my poor sales team, the, the one that I that I first had. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did become eventually a pretty good sales manager, <laughs> but not that not that first uh, outing. Yeah. Um, thank goodness that I had some people on that team who were, they gave me some grace yeah. and they were good to me and they helped me to see what I was doing all wrong because I was, I was not a leader. I, I was an intense, I had been the top salesperson in the yeah. organization and I came in with an intensity that was just out of control. Hmm. You know what? I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only person that's gone through that process. <laughs> you know, that intensity, I, 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 I had the same thing. I, I, I managed my sales team like I managed my pipeline and it did not work. 
um, mm-hmm. because they were people. They needed somebody to be empathetic, understanding. Um, they needed, you know, help. They didn't need somebody to come in and close a deal because I, I was coming to the end of my month or quarter. Um, and uh, I completely had a, a different idea on what sales leadership was. Um, so again, thank you for, for sharing that with us. Now, look, I've really enjoyed the chat, Deb, and, um, you know, I could continue for hours. But look, before we, uh, end, you know, finish up the podcast, where can our listeners connect with you and find more about you and, and, and get your book? And we'll also um, put it in the in the show notes. Okay, well, please do connect with me. I always yeah. enjoy that. So LinkedIn is a great place to find me. Um, my website has tons of free resources. We are truly committed to just giving back to the sales community, and that, that's what I do. So we put out a lot of free content. It's the same reason I founded the Sales Experts channel, yep. and that's where people can go for hundreds of webinars from global sales experts around the world. Um so the salesexpertschannel.com is that website. Fantastic. My personal company website is peoplefirstps.com. Yep. So you, go, you'll find me anywhere. Okay, Let's we'll, connect. And we'll put that in the show notes. We're going to put where, where, where you can get, you know, your fantastic books. Um, but, you know, for me, Stop Selling and Start Leading has, has, has definitely had a positive impact on, on me. Um, again, I, I keep referring back to it. You'd love my copy. I've got post-it notes on it. I've got um, my, my highlighters all over it. And uh, oh. there's, there's some absolute gems in there. So, Deb, I want to say thank you. Appreciate the contribution that you make to our community, um, our profession, uh, and the contribution that you've made to my career. So I want to say thank you. Thank you. I, such a pleasure talking with you today. No worries. Thank you so much, Deb. What a privilege it was to listen to Deb talk about her philosophy when it comes to selling. Why did I like that episode? I liked that episode because Deb embraces, she empowers, she's all about helping the customer buy and removing all the stigma associated with you know the bad eggs or the bad apples that have given sales a bad rap. So my challenge to you this week is, what are you doing to help your customers buy? What are you doing to stop selling and start leading the customer through the buying process so you can be the best sales professional you can be?